So good morning, Eastside family. We're going to let our children, ages three through third grade, make their way back to junior worship. I see a lot of visitors today, so we're glad that you're here. And if you have kids in that age range, head back in that direction. I met a young man named Carter back here in the back, and he's from Arkansas. I said, why are you here? And he says, well, I'm just here for vacation. I love living somewhere where people go on holiday. That's absolutely awesome. Take your Bibles and turn now to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. Yes, you heard that correctly. We, um, we are in our second lesson of a, of a six-part mini-series in the book of Leviticus. And if you uh, want to follow along, and you should, because we're just touching the hem of the garment, um, and that's actually in Leviticus, um, we're just touching it. So there's a reading guide in the, in the bulletins for you to work your way and dig your way through Leviticus as we kind of look at the major themes. We're looking at today this incredible section. There's, it's divided up into four sections. You've got this section, section called the rituals. It's the beginning, a few chapters at the beginning, and a few chapters at the end talk about the rituals. Today, our job, well, Ryan's job is to go to the text and say, well, here's what it says, and here's what it means. And then my job is to try to figure out, well, what does it mean for us? Let's get into it. All right. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, so, quick raise of hands, if you will. Uh, has anybody here ever performed a ritual sacrifice? <laughs> All right. Um, has anybody ever made a burnt offering on an altar? All right, okay, that's cool. Um, cut an animal's throat and followed a list of instructions in accordance with the higher power to achieve a result you were not capable of achieving on your own. All right, tough crowd, so that's cool. Um, has anybody celebrated a holiday or participated in a feast? Just Okay, that's cool. All right. So today we're going to start in the text that's basically at the beginning and end of this book with rituals. Now at this point or some point, uh, you're probably thinking rituals, that's, that's not me, that's not us. We don't do that anymore. We don't need that anymore. Holidays, maybe. Uh, but rituals, not so much. And I'd I'd say you're pretty much right. Uh, we as disciples of Jesus maybe don't need all of these rituals, but we do have our own rituals we perform, given to us by God and religious holidays whose celebration is not actually outlined in the Bible, but we'll get more into that later. So rituals chapter 1 through 7 and chapters 23 through 25 in Leviticus. Let's get started here. So chapters 1 through 7 outline the ritual sacrifices and offerings, and here we have five offerings that are pretty much numbered respectively to their chapters. First is the burnt offering for the atonement of sins, and second are the grain offerings. Here we have three different offerings, uh, and these were to accompany the burnt offerings to signify thanksgiving to God. Next we have the peace offerings to signify fellowship between the worshiper and God. Here we also have three different types of offerings. Uh, first was the thank offering, which expressed gratitude for an unexpected blessing. Second was the votive offering, which is to express gratitude for a blessing involving a vow with God. And then finally, a free will offering, which is a way of thanking God for no specific reason. And I think this is a good spot to stop and make my first point here. Communion and communication with God are not and should not be limited to when things go wrong or when you do something wrong. Following the peace offering, we have the fourth offering in chapter 4, the sin offering, which for, for sins committed unknowingly, especially when there was no restitution possible. 
And then finally, the fifth offering was the trespass offering, which was for sins committed when, uh, unknowingly when restitution was possible. So we have these rituals in place for sins of commission, sins of omission, uh, intentional and unintentional, wronging your neighbor, being deceitful and dishonest. All of these ways of saying, I'm sorry to God, ways to atone, and in the middle of all this was a list of ways to say, Lord, look how amazing, thank you. And Lord, I asked and you gave me. And a way of saying, Lord, you are great, I just wanted to say. So then from chapter 6, verse 8 to the end of chapter 7 is the priest's role in the offering. And here is uh, outlined basically what the priest is supposed to physically do uh, during the offerings and what parts of the animals they are to keep for themselves for food. Also, we have instructions for anointing of Aaron and his sons. Now, I want to get a little bit deeper into some of this text and read you some specifics. This is the, uh, from the instructions of the burnt offering. Chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. But if his offering is from the flock, the sheep, or the goats, for a burnt offering, he shall offer a male without defect. He shall slay it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord, and Aaron's son, the priest, shall sprinkle its blood around the altar. He shall then cut it into pieces with its head and its suet, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood, which is on the fire on the altar. The entrails, however, and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it, uh, offer in smoke on the altar as a burnt offering of an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. And now from the sin offering of a priest should sin, chapter 4, verse nine through, or 4 through 9. He shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meetings before the Lord and shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slay the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meetings. And the priest shall dip his fingers in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense, which is before the Lord in the tent of meetings. And the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offerings, which is the doorway of the tent of meetings. He shall remove from it all the fat of the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, the fat which covers uh, fat of the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. And you're probably sitting there thinking, Ryan, come on with the blood and the lobes and the refuse and the kidneys and all that. What's this about? Why are you reading this to me? Uh, well, first of all, because I find it tremendously interesting. Uh, and second of all, it's not every day a guy gets to stand up in front of the whole congregation and say this stuff. But more importantly, I want you to notice the detail, the immense description. The text doesn't just say, kill the bird and we're fine. It says, chapter 5, verse 8, he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first, which that is for the sin offering, and shall nip its head at the front of the neck, but shall not sever it. There's detail and purpose in this text. The exact reason behind all of it, I don't completely know or understand, but I do believe point number two, communication and God should be precise and intentional. When you go before the Lord with your sins, your shortcomings, your thanks, your prayers, and your worship, the intent of your actions should not be vague and half-hearted. I believe we should be honest and clear with God. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Instead, try, God, I am so thankful that that tire that blew out on me was still under warranty. 
or Lord, please forgive us of all of our sins. Instead, try, Lord, I beg you forgive me. I have violated the covenant of our marriage with pornography. Be honest and be clear. So let's pull a couple more verses out and take a closer look at them. This is from the guilt offering, chapter 5, verse 7. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord the guilt offering for that which he has sinned. Two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Chapter 5, verse 11. But if his means are insufficient for two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then for his offering that for which he has sinned, he shall bring a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for his sin offering. He shall not put oil on it or place incense on it, for it is a sin offering. There's plenty more like this. For most of these offerings, there are options in place. Some specifically outline these options for the poor or those with little means. Point three, atonement with the Lord is not a luxury of the upper class. Throughout the Torah, we see examples, rules, and guidelines that promote social justice and social equality. That is not something that God left to man alone to deal with. If you are poor, if your means are insufficient, God still wants you atoned for. Now, we're going to make the jump to chapter 23 through 25, holidays and ritual feasts. So first listed is uh, the Sabbath, or Shabbat, which I'm sure we're all relatively familiar with. And this is to be a solemn day of rest every seventh day. Next is Passover, or Pesach, which is the feast, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the day and feast that commemorates God's deliverance of Israel from the bondage in Egypt. Uh, some of these holidays were future statutes for later when Israel would go into the Promised Land. Chapter 23, verse 9 through 10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter in the land which I am going to give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring, its sh- you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits to the priest. The feast of first fruits, or Bikarum, was a way to honor and thank God at the beginning of the harvest. Then seven weeks later would be the feast of weeks, or Shavuot, which was to celebrate and thank God for the provision of sustenance through the harvest. Following that is the feast of trumpets, chapter 23, verse 23 through 25. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month and the first of the month you shall have a rest, a reminder of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. And that's all we get for the Feast of Trumpets. It's mentioned again in Numbers, for, uh, chapter 29, verse 1 through 6, uh, but honestly, it doesn't give us a lot more information. Today, the Feast of Trumpets is called Rosh Hashanah, which is basically a New Year's celebration. Um, I've done some pretty interesting research on this holiday, and I wish I had more time to get into its biblical significance, but we just have to keep moving. Next is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And we're going to get deeper into that in a future lesson. But as I mentioned last Sunday, that's basically the day where Israel would atone for their sins of the past year. After that is the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, where among other things, people would live in booths or tents for seven days to commemorate the Exodus, since during that time the people of Israel dwelled in booths when the Lord delivered them from Egypt. After that, in chapter 24, we are given instructions for the care of the lamps of the sanctuary and instructions for the bread of the sanctuary and the law of an eye for an eye. And all of this seems a little bit strange as far as its placement uh, in the middle of all these instructions for the ritual feasts, uh, but even stranger yet in all these instructions, in chapter 24, 10 through 16, we get a story. Now, I want to table that story for a moment, and we're going to come back to it later. 
Um, I want to finish the overview of the holidays with chapter 25, and that starts with the Sabbath of the seventh year, uh, also called Shemitah, which in Hebrew literally means release, where every seventh year it was to be a rest for the land and basically no farming was to be done. After that, the text outlines uh, the year of Jubilee, or Yovil, where every 50th year liberty to those in debt was given and land was returned back to its owners. Following that is outlined the provisions for the Sabbath, the seventh year, and laws for redeeming property lent to the poor and laws concerning servants and slaves. All right, so now let's go back to chapter 24, 10 through 16, and take a look at that story. Now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the sons of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son, a man of Israel, struggled with... Uh, Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other uh, in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman who blasphemed the name of the Lord, blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Debris of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the one who is cursed outside the camp and let all who heard him lay their hand on his head and let the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he shall bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. I feel like there's a reverence that we may have lost. Maybe not so much as a church, but it's certainly safe to say as a society we have. Just as Israel was charged with honoring and showing God to the world, so are we. I'm not suggesting we start executing people out in the streets, uh, but the importance of showing that reverence and worship for our Lord cannot be overstated. Here's my final point. At the core of these feasts we see it, and this man personifies the antithesis of the spirit of these holidays, and that is, our God is to be honored and worshipped. God didn't simply break the bonds of slavery for these people and say, okay, see y'all around, have fun. No. He chose to live with them and showed them how to live with him. And that's what this book is all about. He chose them for your and my benefit, to bring his holiness to the world and to bring the Messiah, the true king to the world. And God is not to be dismissed, but honored and worshiped. So as we mentioned last week, you can really get lost here, right? There's a lot of details and a lot of confusing things and, and um, you can become frustrated and just say, I, just, I, can't, I can't read any further. But as we talked about last week in our introduction to Leviticus, it's, it's critical to see all of these details in the book of Leviticus in its larger context. These ritual sacrifices, um, these ritual holidays, as, as Ryan mentioned, they're subordinate to a larger point. This is the main point of Leviticus, God calling us into his holy presence. God making a way for us to enter into his presence. That's what he's doing here. And he wants us to stay there. 
You, you just got to think about that. It blows me away to consider that the eternal, majestic, huge God, creator of the universe, wants me to be close to him. He, he, wants, to, he wants to spend time with me. But the problem is, the problem is God can't just say, hey, Eddie, come on in, because, because he's God. <laughs> I'm not. He's holy, and I'm not. Or I could say we. He's perfect. We're not. He's righteous. We're not. He's pure. We're not. He is light. We're not. We're darkness. Because of his character and because of ours, we can't just waltz into the presence of God and say, hey, what's up? His, his holiness, his purity, his perfection, and his light, it can't be exposed to and it can't be contaminated by our impurity, our unholiness, our imperfection, and our darkness. And so God makes provision. He makes provision by these in incredible rituals that you see at the beginning of Leviticus, at the end of Leviticus, provisions to make us holy that we can enter into his presence. And so that kind of helps me understand Leviticus, but as Ryan was mentioned, there's still a part where we're kind of still shaking our heads because we don't practice all this stuff that Ryan mentioned. We don't practice these ritual sacrifices. We don't hold to these, to these ritual holidays. And so we're still going, yeah, but... How's that relevant? And so that's where you not only want to see Leviticus in the larger context to understand Leviticus, but you want to see Leviticus in the larger context of the Bible so you can see how Leviticus fits into the larger context of our life story. And so to help us understand the question, how is this relevant to us? I want us to spend a little bit of time. You're going to have to read this on your own. My job is to bring us into the New Testament now and show, show the parallel. And so I've, I've chosen Hebrews chapter 10, which does an incredible job of, of speaking directly into the book of Leviticus, as what, what Ryan has spoken to us about. The book of Hebrews is something like a, a sister companion book, a commentary on Leviticus. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, the Holy Spirit does an absolutely beautiful job of answering the question, so what? How is, this, how is all this relevant for us? In your life groups that are meeting this summer, you can tonight or this afternoon work through this text on your own. You can read through it. I'm just going to say here's the main points as I work our way through it section by section. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, he mentions that these ritual sacrifices, he says, they're a shadow of the good things that are coming. They're a foreshadowing, you could say. They're pointing towards something. They're a reflection of something that is greater, and that thing which is greater is Christ. And the writer goes on to describe there that these sacrificial rituals, these holidays, they were something temporary that God put in place, but they could never get it completely. They couldn't completely do what was necessary to make us holy, but their objective was to point us to and to prepare us for 
Christ and his sacrifices and his sacrifice. And so when you're reading about all of these rituals in Leviticus, the Holy Spirit wants you to see a reflection or a picture of Christ. This is Jesus and this is what Jesus did for us. And when you read this, in a portion, he gave us a little bit of a taste of it. You, you, you might get a little bit repulsed or a little bit grossed out. If you envision what he was reading there, they're taking a knife and they're cutting the throat of an animal and they're, they're, they're skinning an animal and they're pulling out its intestines and doing this with the kidneys and this with the fat and some of it's being eaten and some of it's being, um, being burned on, on the altar. And then there's blood, and it's, it's put here, or blood is sprinkled there. It's just a real bloody and, and gory story. And the Hebrew author says in chapter 10, verses 5 through 9, that Christ looked at these ritual sacrifices and said, I will be that lamb. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, in verses, um, verses 5 through 9, it is written about me in the scroll. What Ryan was reading, Jesus says, that's me. Here I am. I offer myself to be sacrificed. I have come to do your will. And so when you read of these ritual sacrifices, you have to realize this is what Jesus chose to do for me. That I could spend time with him. And to realize if this truly is, and it is a reflection of Jesus, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He was slaughtered. Slaughtered, as these sacrifices show us. And then he goes on in chapter 10, in verses 10 through 18. You read this on your own. He goes on to explain that by his sacrifice, and I quote their wor the words of the Holy Spirit here, by his sacrifice, we have been made holy. That's past tense. Not you should be, you ought to be, you will be, one day you, you might be. He says it's past it's you have been made holy. He says you have been made by his sacrifice perfect, listen, forever. Our sin, it says, and lawless acts, he remembers no more. God wants us to be so close to him and stay so close to him that he, he's made a way for us to fix all the stuff we've messed up that separates us from him. He's made a way for us to, to, to make amends for our sins, not wanting us to, to carry. He doesn't want you to carry shame and guilt and not wanting any of these things to, to keep us from him. And so one of the key verses in Leviticus that comes up again and again and again, you hear echoes of it here in Hebrews chapter 10 where we read in Leviticus, I am the Lord who makes you holy. That's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And I love this um, you read it in Hebrews chapter 10 in comparing the, the Old Testament sacrificial system to the sacrifice of Jesus. He talks about this overwhelming work of the priest 
a never-ending job, a never really ever fully accomplishing what was needed to be done. He talks about them day after day after day, sacrificing and standing, he says, and performing the ritual sacrifices. But then it speaks of Jesus' sacrifice and says when Jesus offered his one sacrifice, he sat down. I have a sermon. I haven't preached yet, but I've, I've entitled it already. Someday I may preach it or maybe I'm preaching it now. It's entitled, You May Be Seated. There's nothing more you can do to make yourself better before God. There's nothing more you can do to make God say, I oh, know I love you more. There's nothing you can do for God to say, now I love you less. There's nothing you can do. Now I'm holier. Now I'm more perfect. It is completely done. In Christ, he sat down. You may be seated. Oh, if, if we can grasp forgiveness and the complete work of Christ in our lives and live that out. And so then in chapter 10 and verse 19, the next section, he says, therefore, and this is where if you're going, well, how's it relevant? How's it relevant? Therefore says, now because of this, let me just read this passage to you again as the Nunez family did such a brilliant job reading it. Therefore, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us to the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What God was trying to accomplish in the book of Leviticus in drawing us into his presence, as we sang this morning, his desire to bring us into his, his fellowship with him, it's been fulfilled by Christ. And you can imagine how the Jews and, and the, the, the primary audience in the book of Hebrews, were there, these were converted Jews, and you can imagine how this must have sounded to them because they knew the restrictions of the Torah. They, they knew that you don't go into the temple, just walk in there. They knew that only the holy priest, or the high priest, could enter into the most holy place once a year, and they knew if they were to be so daring as to try that they would be struck dead and to hear these incredible words that now, because of Jesus, they can walk into the close, intimate presence of God and stay there and be there. Do we comprehend the privilege we have in the presence of God? And so we don't have these ritual sacrifices, sure, to, to enter into God's presence. But Ryan and I talked about we do have some rituals. And, and one of the rituals that we have, which is I might call it an entry point ritual, is the, the ritual of baptism. I don't come before God and say, here's my sacrifices that allow me to enter into your presence. But in baptism, in that ritual of baptism, I come before God and I symbolically connect by bringing before him the sacrifice of Christ that I may enter into a close and saving relationship with him. And so if you're going, how does this relate to me? If you have never been baptized, certainly that's its relationship to you. To bring the sacrifice of Christ and offer it to God through baptism. 
The Spirit then goes on to say in chapter 10 and verse 23 through 25, and, and some of us know this from the King James. I know it well because I heard it almost every Sunday. Let us not forsake the assembling of the saints as some of that habit of doing. We know that. You better go to church. Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And this is a practical application flowing from what God has done to these, to these weary, weary. Read Hebrews and you'll see it. They were tired. They were persecuted, and they were just saying, you know what, I don't think it's worth continuing on. And to people like us who in hard times are, are tired and weary, and we want to give up, he says to them here, he reminds them here, how much, verses 23 through 25, they need one another. Let's not give up meeting together. And so those words reflect these ritual holidays that we saw in Leviticus because they weren't just put into place. They were put into place so that in the busyness of our lives, we would never lose sight of God, but we would always have something to bring back to our center, to our faith in God. But they were also to remind us of our incredible need for one another. Church, we should never underestimate the importance of this Sunday ritual of coming together. I'm afraid that our weekly gatherings on Sunday have lost their importance in the lives of many of God's people. And I'm afraid that too often now we are raising a generation that no longer sees the ritual gathering that we have here as a priority in their lives. There's a principle here that carries over to God, the Sabbath ritual, these holiday rituals they were huge. God took them very seriously. And not because they were offered as laws to be saved, to be made holy, but they were sacred and intentionally planned times that we would always keep our focus on God, that we would always be reminded of our need for him and for one another. And there's another ritual that Ryan and I spoke of that's, that has a similarity as we gather together, as we participated in this morning. It's the ritual of the Lord's Supper, which reflects back to, to God's people when they had these ritual holidays. There were meals that surrounded these ritual holidays. The Lord's Supper is our meal where we gather around the table to come together, not only God, but with one another. And it's a ritual celebration to remind us of the sacrifice of Christ, which was the fulfillment of all of these things that the ritual sacrifices we're seeking to accomplish. What we do every Sunday with the Lord's Supper, oh, church, that is sacred to God, just as these sacrifices and holidays were sacred. And then, then the tone of this passage, it's very similar to the tone of, of, of Ryan's flow of thought that the, the Spirit gives us in Leviticus. He moved from this description of all these beautiful celebratory rituals to this story of a man who blasphemed the name of God and, and then this man was stoned to death. And it's strange, but you see a very similar flow of thought here in Hebrews chapter 10 going from this look what God has done to make us holy and to bring us into his presence. And then it closes this train of thought with these very sobering words. Chapter 10 and verse 26, he says these words, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire. For we are treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that makes us holy. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
So you want to ask, well, how is all this stuff in Leviticus relevant and practical? Leviticus and this text in Hebrews makes it clear. In view of all that God has done to clean me up, to bring me into his presence, to make me his holy dwelling place. In view of all that God has done for me in Christ, how can I blaspheme his name by my life? How can I leave here and deliberately keep on sinning, as the Hebrew author says, this incredible work that God has done in Christ to make me holy and to bring me close to him, to make me his dwelling place, it should naturally drive me to live out his holiness in very practical ways. Next week and the following week, we're going to see how those practical ways look in, in, very, in very detailed descriptions. And so this section on rituals in Leviticus, it, it comes to a close, and this section in Hebrews comes to a close. And if there's one point that is clear, God in Christ has made us holy. He has made us to be his sacred dwelling place. Therefore, how we live our lives, church, it matters and should not be taken lightly. But there's also an important point from these rituals in this passage in Hebrews. Because as I talk about how we live matters and should not be taken lightly, we indeed fall short of his holiness. And the beautiful thing all of these rituals in Leviticus are pointing to is that God has made a way to make amends for it all. For us to be forgiven and to relieve of the burden and the guilt and the shame that we carry. And in spite of us and what we've done, oh, he's, he wants to be close to us. He wants us to be close to him. And so as, as we, as we kind of close this time together, we want to put into practice this incredible privilege of, of what this passage says of, of approaching his throne of grace. We're going to enter into a time of prayer, and it's not just a, let's say a closing prayer so we can all leave. It's, it's a beautiful privilege we have of entering into the presence of God. And I want to encourage us. We're here for one another. That's what we looked at in here in Hebrews. Our shepherds are going to be available to pray with you. If, if you would like to raise your hand, they'll kind of be wandering around and go and pray with one of them. Um, I'm going to actually ask one of our shepherds to go and hold Rosemary's hand and pray with her as um, she's carrying the heavy burden of her son who just had um, a surgery and a stroke. And if you've never entered into this close and saving relationship with God through baptism, we invite you to take this step. Let one of us know. Let's stand together and go into this time of prayer. Lord, today I want to offer you up a, a prayer of thanks. I want to thank you for baptism and the salvation that comes with it. I want to thank you for communion and how it reminds us of your sacrifice. I want to thank you for this chance to worship and fellowship today. I want to ask that you help us to set more time aside just for you, Lord, to do no work, to worship you, and that you help us to show yourself and to show Jesus to the world. I want to thank you for setting the people of Israel apart and for bringing your light to the world through them and for bringing your son, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. 
for all of the world to take part in salvation. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.